Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting over is back once again, and we are just under two weeks away from WWE Night of Champions, where a brand new world heavyweight champion will be crowned. It seems like it is going to be a loaded show, and that means we have plenty to discuss on this episode one week away from the ultimate preview, of course, for Night of Champions. Now, vintage Chris Vanini will be joining the show briefly for a large part of our main event, but he is also on site this week, so the Silver King will be putting a lot of the show on his back, particularly when it comes to the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Chris will be along momentarily, but I do need to kick off the show, as I always do, with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us a couple five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. Those written reviews are so important to us that if you leave one, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, and so much more. Of course, you can also become an official getting overhead by remembering, I happen to love the number five. And heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Subscribe for $5 a month. You get bonus audio, four shows a week. You get news posts, and you get official acknowledgments right here on the show. The latest to receive those honors right here on Getting Over are two new members that joined us in the last week, Chase Goldstein and Leon Rudy. We appreciate you becoming official Getting Overheads and allow me to say this to you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. We also got a bunch of new comments on Spotify. We will read those in the next episode because this intro is already getting a little long, but I appreciate all of you leaving the ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and of course, joining up and becoming official getting overheads to this point. No one's really left us, so hopefully you guys are very much enjoying the bonus content that you are getting over there, and I will repeat, you know, I'm not trying to do the Barry Horowitz and pat myself on the back, but the news updates that we're giving you... They're landing, so you guys know it's all coming from a really good place, and we also appreciate the kind words that all of you leave for us over there as well. All right, that was quite an intro, and we still have an absolute ton of show left, so let's not waste any more time. It is a three-segment show, the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word. So if it's three segments, and we got to start with the first one, that means it is time to slide into the main event. This All right, so as I mentioned earlier, vintage Chris Vanini is joining to discuss what happened on SmackDown as part of this double main event on today's show. So we're going to go through all of that, and then I will double back once Chris dips, and we will go ahead and talk about the same two topics in terms of how they moved forward on Raw. So Chris, let's start with what I believe is the biggest storyline in WWE right now, and that is this World Heavyweight Championship tournament. We had two quarterfinal and one semifinal match 
on SmackDown. We're going to break them down and we'll let everyone know exactly what we're thinking going into Monday night. Now, the first Chris of the two quarterfinals was AJ Styles, Edge, and Rey Mysterio in a triple threat. Before we actually break down the match, though, I want to play this promo that Edge cut Friday on social media prior to SmackDown. Hey, everybody. So uh, this isn't some kind of mapped out wrestling promo or anything. I'm sitting in what is my second home, a wrestling ring, uh, trying to get in some reps before SmackDown tomorrow night where I face Rey Mysterio and AJ Styles. And I can't say enough about those guys. I know AJ and I have had our differences in the past. Uh, and you know the history with me and Ray Ray. Um, those two guys are the reason a lot of people are, are in our industry. And I expect to have one hell of a match. I also expect to win it. I have to. You know, some people have been running around saying they, they're going to finish their stories, right? And, and good for them. But it made me think a little bit about my story. The introduction of the... WWE Heavyweight Championship, if I look at that thing, it even looks like the title that I never lost. It looks like big gold. 12 years ago, I was forced to give that thing up. Never had a chance to get it back. Now I have a chance. And it all comes full circle. Now this ride, it's gonna end sooner than later. Let's face it, we all know that. I gotta get this done. It's the last thing to do, it's the last it's the period on the end of the sentence, right? It's the last sentence in the book. I gotta get that stuff out of the basement. And um, I just gotta do it. You know, all of you that are watching this, I assume you've been with me on this ride. And I really appreciate it. Um, it's gonna end soon. And I gotta end it right this time. And there's no better way to finish it than to win the World Heavyweight Championship. And then when I lose it, that's it. I'm done. So Ray, AJ, bring your best tomorrow. I know you will. Can't wait to see you in there, to be honest. Let's tear it up. All right, so clearly I got it wrong that it was Thursday before SmackDown, not Friday. But Chris, I don't need to tell you or tell anyone listening, that was an absolutely incredible promo. And on last week's show, we broke down the matches that were in front of us as they were announced for the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. We opined, hey, look, it's most likely going to be Seth Rollins and AJ Styles in the final. I mean, we went through with our predictions and you know discussed what we thought the outcomes might be. And yes, Seth Rollins, it would make a lot of sense for him to win the World Heavyweight Championship. But damn it, dude, when I heard that promo from Edge, to me, I, you know, Rollins, he's deserved the title for years. It's been a shitty situation for him. But damn it, if I, on Friday night going into SmackDown, did not have my mind changed, I wanted that exact storyline that Edge just laid out there. Edge winning the World Heavyweight Championship taking it for as long as he does, and then eventually losing it, and that being his retirement match. What a story that could have been. Man, I had not even heard that or seen it until you just played it. And so now in retrospect, yeah. I mean, how <laughs> I, good is I'm that? Ready, I'm, I'm ready for Edge to, to win this tournament, and, and suddenly he's not. And, you know, actually before SmackDown, someone else who I know who listened to the show DM'd me and said they thought Edge would win. 
to be the other finalist because the show's in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Edge is a big name. I, I get we hadn't I hadn't considered that. So you throw that on top of then hearing this promo. If I had heard that in real time, I would 100 percent have picked Edge to win this. That is one hell of a promo. I mean, it's a, it's a great promo, but just the story that he laid out, it makes yeah. so much sense. Now, they can do it the other way where he pursues it and he claims, hey, you know, if I win, then that'll be the end. And he perhaps relinquishes it just like he did the last time. That's messy. You don't want someone to win a title and relinquish it when they're healthy. doesn't really make any sense. But there are ways that this can happen still where, you know, whoever does ultimately become the first champion, Edge beats them, you know, three months into it. They rematch at WrestleMania. That person gets over them and then Edge retires. There's a lot of ways to do it. But damn it, man. Like when I heard that promo, I was like, this makes so much freaking sense to be the storyline. And then he, you know, not to spoil, we're about to get into the triple threat. He not only loses the first quarterfinal, he gets pinned in the first quarterfinal. So let's go ahead and, and break down what actually happened in this match. And then well, we'll, real quick, real ahead. quick, with yeah. this to the point, though, SmackDown opens up with the match. We, as far as I can recall, unless it was something a week ago or two weeks ago, I don't remember. Did we get any promos from people on SmackDown talking about this belt like we got Cody opening up? raw last week i don't think we had promos about it i do remember people looking at the title the way finn balor and seth rollins and others on that raw had but if memory serves we went from smackdown in puerto rico with this announced only earlier that day Mm -hmm. in that press conference by triple h to raw where the tournament started so they had no opportunity to do so on SmackDown. No, I was just I was surprised SmackDown didn't open up with Edge cutting this promo almost or somebody doing it. Like we're just oh Edge is back at the beginning of SmackDown and oh shoot shoot we haven't seen Edge in yeah. a while and here he is and just we're going and so there, that Edge promo I wish we would have something like that to lead into that first. It time. would have been incredible or if they just played it at the start of the show or whatever but you didn't this match didn't just start the show. Two of the three competitors were in the ring and Edge made right. his entrance. And then the match started. That never happens on WWE main roster television. Occasionally on NXT. What was clear about SmackDown is they wanted to put a lot in that show. And they did. They successfully Mm -hmm. did so. They cut at least one segment and perhaps had to trim this down as well to get everything they wanted in the show. So it was a really interesting, rare start to to SmackDown. But it also worked because they were up against the NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs simultaneously. So they wanted someone to tune, tune into the show, see AJ Styles, Edge, and Rey Mysterio, and be like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm at least going to watch this match. That was the idea behind the entire Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, I, I get it. It's just, you know, we talked about last week about this World Heavyweight Championship tournament not feeling like the biggest thing in the world because it's going so quickly. Right. And the start of the show furthered that. It did. No question about it. So, like I said, this open SmackDown, uh, Edge kissed a ton of kids, including his commentary. Michael Cole was like, oh, yeah, those are all his kids. I don't think those are all his kids. It was he kissed like seven different kids on the head. But OK, <laughs> some of them were his. Uh, this match started on fire. The trio of these guys combined for a rolling sunset flip pendulum toss and then a pendulum splash edge edge matic on styles edge caught Ray for a fallaway slam. Ray took him down with a code red edge caught Ray sliding with styles hitting a dropkick through the ropes for a draping DDT off the apron. All these trio moves that I just mentioned, they were extremely choreographed, but it did pick up right after that with Edge hitting a really sick Big E-style double tope spear to both guys off the apron outside. 
Styles put Mysterio in a calf crusher with Edge locking in a cross face simultaneously. There was a double huracarana with Edge initially bouncing onto the wrong set of ropes. And then literally he bounced off them onto the other set of ropes to correct himself. It was hysterical, but it actually worked really well in terms of what happened in the match. He and Styles double drop kicked Ray to avoid the 619. Styles set up for a superplex with Ray getting under AJ for a simultaneous sunset flip powerbomb. Styles tripped Mysterio on a 619. Edge ducked phenomenal forearm. Styles frog jumped a spear. Edge then intercepted a 619 and put Mysterio in educator. Styles tried to break the you know submission. So Edge put the same one on him. And then as Styles found the ropes, Ray caught Edge with a 619. The finishing sequence was supposed to be Edge spearing Ray on the ensuing splash with Styles then catching him blind with phenomenal forearm. Instead, Edge like didn't get up for the spear. Ray just flew, hit his shoulder, and then he sold it as if he got speared with Styles still hitting the phenomenal forearm to advance in 16 minutes and 15 seconds. It was an unfortunate botch in the finish for what was otherwise a fantastic freaking match. And the cherry on top was Styles finally pinning Edge after all of this time. Now, Edge was the clear crowd favorite throughout, and I thought it was extremely cool to see three longtime SmackDown stars and world champions in different companies in a first-time match, especially given Edge's history with Styles and Ray individually. He talked about that in this promo I just played, but because of what you pointed out, there was no promo on SmackDown and no lead into this. They didn't really share it on the show, and Michael Cole actually did not do a good job talking about that history during the match. I just wish they had told that story more. Literally, the only problem with this was that all three of these guys are over 40. If you did the same match 10 or even better, 15 years ago, it would have been an A-plus match, fluid and great wrestling and all that. In 2023, though, everyone worked slow, mostly because of Edge. The trio moves all, therefore, felt a little bit too choreographed, and obviously, we had the mistake in the end, which, honestly, Edge may have just been concussed. He looked like he got rocked, but it was an excellent match, and it really felt like these guys went out there trying to deliver something special for themselves and for the fans. We got who I would call the right winner, though Edge, as we mentioned, did set up a wonderful storyline that would have been fantastic. It was a great start to the show. I went 4.25 stars and an A, and yes, folks, this was a legit banger. Yeah, this was a really fun match. It really picked up as it went on. It was kind of slow, but even the choreographed stuff, I didn't mind. There were a lot of moves in there that you don't often see from especially guys like edge oh yeah in a, in a spot like this I, you know I, I i've been on the record saying edge matches have largely bored me for a long time but this was one of his best matches just because of the guys around him and the different moves he pulled out he pulled out a lot of stuff we've not seen him do very often and yeah the the ending was a little weird maybe he was was concussed i'm not sure ray stole what he could and commentary did its best to cover it um, but ultimately, I think in the end, we did probably get the right winner, uh, even with that great story and, and promo from Edge. Commentary did not sell the stories involved, nor I think the stakes of this. I didn't think the crowd was all that great either. And it kind of comes back to what I've said, where this World Heavyweight Championship Tournament doesn't feel like it's the most important thing going on. Maybe it's because Roman Reigns is on this show too, holding two belts. And so, you know, the World Heavyweight Championship belt just doesn't mean as much. It just was kind of missing that, you know, this feels like a massive moment. It didn't, but the match itself was really fun. And the guys involved 
did a really good job with it. I think a lot of what you said was spot on. I do disagree about the crowd. I didn't notice them not being excited or amped up for it. I think it was just a lot happening really, really, really fast. I mean, you have to remember WWE, even at their best, with the exception of Puerto Rico uh, and Montreal, does not have the AEW crowd that pops for every single move that happens and treats each move and each punch like it's the biggest deal. And that's not a a negative credit to AEW crowds because they make the product feel more exciting because of that. But that's not what a WWE crowd generally is. So they were doing impressive and fun moves and stuff. But I thought the crowd was perfectly appropriately cheering for the entire match. I didn't find it to be dull or anything like that. All right. That's fair. Yeah, that's just my take on it. Um, The other quarterfinal was Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley, and Sheamus again in a triple threat match. Now, this was the second segment. It immediately followed the first one. And obviously, based on who was in it, it was much harder hitting. Theory took 10 beats and then the ring post helicopter from Lashley. That eventually gave us... Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight! So Lashley caught Sheamus flying for a toss belly-to-belly suplex theory, then broke Hurtlock with his rolling dropkick to both of their heads. And then he hit a rolling blockbuster on Lashley. Theory ran Lashley headfirst into the steel steps before Sheamus caught a rolling attempt for an Irish curse and hit avalanche white noise to boot. Sheamus went for a rare uh, Celtic cross that Theory escaped, Then Sheamus had a pump knee and went for the bro kick, only for Lashley to intercept it with a spear. Theory threw Lashley shoulder first into the post for a false finish on Sheamus. And it was at this moment that I first noticed Bobby got busted open hard way right on the top of his dome. And I'm pretty sure it was the shot into the steel steps that did it. Lashley countered A-Town down with an almighty spine buster and got hurt lock on Theory. Sheamus broke it with a bro kick to Theory's head. And Lashley just tossed Sheamus out of the ring, pinning Theory for the one, two, three. Tough to match the first quarterfinal, but this was great as well. It was smoother than the other one, but a completely different match in every way. All three of these guys played their roles perfectly well. And I may be wrong, but I think I got this finish exactly right when we were predicting it on the last show. I'm going to go 3.75 stars and a B plus here. Just it was really solid bell to bell. All three guys came out of it looking good. And again, quote unquote, we got the right winner in Lashley. Yeah, and you had big meaty men doing big meaty stuff. You're right. These were two completely different matches. The first one had a lot of creative moves and speed and stuff like that. This was like all power. And it was a good, considering these matches were back to back, it was a very good contrast in the different styles that we got. One of the best decisions WWE made and shoot it might have been seven eight years ago at this point was putting that plastic or whatever it is around the ring posts you know what it can be a light the leds it a, yeah it can be leds whatever however they do it it makes those throws into mm-hmm. the ring posts so much more effective because there's a noise that comes with it there's a smack every time on the outside on the inside and, you know, we've seen Brock busted open that way, uh, hitting hitting it uh, forehead, you know, a, a number of years ago. So uh, it just it makes those moves a lot more impactful uh, when they happen. And I guess that's how Bobby got cut open. That was my only. No, it was the well. it was the steel steps. He went into the corner of the steel steps and it oh, sliced snap. him. It sliced him down the top of the head and he ended up getting 14 staples in his head to close. Oh, wow. it. Yeah, it, it, I guess he's going to have to take the fin shirt of the 14 <laughs> staples. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I so I, I agree, number, yeah. I, I agree and disagree with you. So 
I hate the visual of those ring posts. I think they're just incredibly ugly. However, you make a good point about the sound when someone bangs into it, whether it's the helicopter that Lashley does outside or someone spearing it from the inside like Rhea Ripley does a lot, Bobby Lashley does when people avoid them. But the other thing that Ring Post has is that big spot on top that's flat. So we've seen people, I think like Seth Rollins and Montez Ford have both done moves off of that. And we've also seen that factor into finishes of matches. I think Omas's head got banged off of it. Maybe it was even at Backlash, um, which led to Seth Rollins hitting all his finishing moves. It might've been the Bobby, uh, the uh, Brock Lesnar match where it happened, but it factors into stuff. Really, the only person I think who actually hates that ring post is Cesaro, who got his like entire mouth broken by it. Yeah. But it, yeah. yeah, no, but yeah, no, it, it was a good match. You, I think you probably picked the right winner too. I, I thought there was an outside chance of Sheamus, but I, I'm pretty sure we both picked Lashley. We did ultimately pick the exact same people, but I mean, I actually think I had the finish where he pinned Theory and threw Sheamus out. So that way Sheamus didn't factor in. Not that again, that doesn't matter. I'm yeah. just saying. Had, had edge hit the spear, the finishes would have been similar and different where edge hits his finisher, then gets finisher to him and he's done. This one was uh, a, a, a hurt lock, broke kick, boom and, and Bobby Lashley gets the win so uh yeah it, it was a good I, I like the finishes to both had they been had they been executed too and even though the first one was a little botched it was still a minor you know mark on what was otherwise a very 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 good match so that led us to the semifinal Styles and Lashley now the hard way atop Bobby's head got busted open in like the middle of the match again so he started bleeding Lashley hit a flatliner Styles came back with a falling forearm Lashley got the hurt lock, but Styles climbed his body into the ropes. Then Styles countered the helicopter, putting Lashley into the post. Lashley literally picked him up off the top rope on a phenomenal forearm attempt. Then he rolled through a calf crusher attempt and countered Styles into a running power slam. Styles ducked out of the ring with Lashley straight spearing the post through the middle turnbuckle. This is what you were referring to. Then AJ kneed his head into the post and hit a phenomenal forearm for the squeaky clean one, two, three, to make it Styles versus Seth Rollins in the final. And I'm just telling you straight up, for me, this was the third banger equivalent match of the night. Like, depending how you define it, I went 3.75 stars on a B plus again. I thought it was just as good as the second quarter final, but it was obviously lower than the first quarterfinal that we got. Lashley did look a bit gassed, I will admit, and the match did slow down in the finish, but Styles carried him well. The booking was extremely strong, and... We got something damn good out of this with, again, for the third time in the night, the appropriate person getting the W. Yeah, my, my biggest surprise was uh, just straight up clean. And maybe I shouldn't be because that's you know how the other semifinal went. But uh, yeah, Bobby Lashley just taking a clean loss. Has not happened a lot recently. And AJ Styles is a guy who's just been out of the picture for quite a long time. So uh Good to see. I, I mean, we, we don't get that enough. I don't think Bobby Lashley is hurt one bit by simply losing this way. He's Bobby Lashley. You just look at him. He's good. Like You can throw him in against anybody next and, and we'll believe it. So credit to them for following through on that. And we got two legitimate semifinal matches with clean winners, big matches. And that properly, I think, sets the stakes for this championship match. Well, it wasn't just two semifinal matches. Like we discussed our booking projections last week and look, sometimes predictable things are good. And all six matches 
went exactly as expected in terms of the booking and the winners. And that's okay. We got the two semifinals and the finals that were best for WWE and probably popped fans the most. Now, Edge definitely threw a wrench into my thinking with his promo on Friday, as we already mentioned. But in the end, I thought all six matches in this delivered in different ways. It felt like the main event level talent got showcased across across both brands. And we got an awesome and I think deserving World Heavyweight Championship final. My only real problem is if you look at the SmackDown side and everyone that competed, all six people, only one of them, I think, was under age 40. And that was Austin Theory. Everyone else was on the other side of 40 and some of them on the other side of 45. Sheamus, I think Bobby Lashley is. Edge obviously is. I think Rey Mysterio is as well. So, I mean, that's not great, but there is a influx of NXT talent and new people. Montez Ford obviously is over there. They could potentially turn him into a single star. So they have the ability to generate some of those stars. But when I looked at this, these matches, and I was like, wait a minute, let me check some of these ages because these guys seem old. Man, it, the SmackDown coming out of the draft roster, it's old as shit from the men. Yeah, it, I, I mean... Even both sides of this tournament, almost everybody involved is a former world champion. And so, like, I get it. If you weren't really going to qualify for some of these things, if you're just starting with names, these are kind of the guys you got to start with. Sure. Like, love Montez Ford, but he can't just be put into a a triple threat semifinal match over Rey Mysterio or Edge or AJ or, you know, other than all, basically other than Austin. uh, theory, mm-hmm. but he's U.S. champion, so like you kind of at least get that. So like, I I, I kind of see where they went. And again, if they had planned this out more ahead of time and kind of explained this and hyped this up, why it's a big deal, why these guys are the ones, other than that one narrated video package they did last week on Raw, um, you you could have kind of hyped that up a bit more. We just we never got that, and now we're gonna have now we've got essentially two weeks of build. For the final. By the way, I said 40 years old. Uh, five of the six guys in these matches were 45 or older. There you go. Theory being the only one who was not. Now, Chris, we have the ultimate preview still next week. And later, after you depart this show, I'm going to discuss what happened on Raw regarding the World Heavyweight Championship tournament. So we don't have to rush to make a firm prediction, but I think looking at this final, Rollins and Styles, it still makes the most sense for Rollins to prevail. He's already on Raw. He's not part of a faction that would have to get moved over should he win. And he's been in need of both a winning moment and a major title for not months, years at this point. It's honestly insane how long it has been since he's been a world champion, you know, level winner. Styles would certainly be a deserving winner. And as you mentioned, the one great thing about the SmackDown side of the bracket, really both sides of the bracket, were how many former world champions competed and how many people who were deserving of a world championship opportunity were involved in the entire tournament. But even though, again, Styles would be deserving, you know, we have another week. We'll discuss it again next week. For me, though, right now, I do believe it still has to be Seth Rollins coming out as the inaugural world heavyweight champion. Yes, Seth is winning this I 99.9%. I'm looking up, trying to figure out the last time Seth was the champion, and I'm pretty sure it was 
when he lost to the fiend the universal title to the fiend it was yeah yeah that's what now it was because you have to remember it's been a long it's been a long road back that reign was such a disaster for a couple reasons one the iwc and the smarks hated rollins because he was standing up for wwe against aew stuff then they had the hell in a cell debacle so as a baby face he got booed and really the whole match got booed because it was absolutely terrible booking that was a really low point in wwe they took the title off of him and the fiend finally beat him and rollins turned heel and since he turned heel, and that, then eventually that led into him being healed during the pandemic, you had Drew McIntyre as champion. And then, you know, for a long time after that, Rollins was doing such good character work that he didn't need a title to support the character work that he was doing. And then he got into this like two year span of just having six month storylines, like with one person after the other. I forgot who the first one was for some reason, but obviously Edge and Cody Rhodes back-to-back put him into a situation where he just wasn't around the title. So some of it was happenstance. Some of it was purposeful. But Rollins has been among the top MVPs of WWE over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, and he is long-deserving of another world title reign. Seth is only a four-time champ. He's insane. He he won uh, the the world title at... um, WrestleMania 31, cashed in the Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. He won it at a Money in the Bank and was Im- over Roman, who was getting suspended and was immediately right. cashed in on by Dean Ambrose. Right. And he won the Universal title over Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 35, the opener. Lost it to Brock at Extreme. Uh, Brock cashed in Extreme uh, Money in the Bank. I oh, think. God. Beat, beat, Bro- uh, beat <laughs> Rollins. Rollins won it back. <laughs> yeah. At, at SummerSlam in Canada that year in 2019 and then lost it to The Fiend on Halloween. And that was the last time Rollins was a world champ. His best title reign was his first one. It was. Straight up. And, really and by the way, he only dropped that because he got injured. Yep. He had on a relinquishment. Do, doing the sunset flip with Kane over the turnbuckle. Yeah. Yep. So it's just been not great. And by the way, you know, you say only four for Seth. Let's just be fair. For Roman Reigns, it's only six. And two of those are, this, you know, this current reign right now. So... They were pretty much at the same spot. The difference is Roman's been champion for about three years now on these same, you know, concurrent reigns. Uh, Whereas, of course, Seth just hasn't won a title since that last time. So very interesting. We will talk more about the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament momentarily. But first, since we still have Chris for a little while longer, let's move to the other main event from SmackDown. Roman Reigns returning for the first time since WrestleMania. So Reigns came out and said, there's a lot of talk about royal families in WWE, but he pointed out how the bloodline main evented both nights of WrestleMania and will be the only family to ever do that. Roman then put over Solo Sokoa for stepping up in his absence. Reign said there was legitimate concern about Sokoa's readiness when he first joined the bloodline, but he keeps handling business and handling problems. Solo off mic told Roman something about Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn still being an issue, but Reigns laughed saying the real problems are actually his brothers, Solo's brothers, the Usos. Reigns criticized them for dedicating a match to him and losing, especially a tag team match, when they could have dedicated it to the other Hall of Fame teams in their bloodline. He was all over them for embarrassing and misrepresenting the family. Roman demanded an apology, and Jimmy smiled, laughing at the idea. So Reigns poked him in the chest, with Jay giving Roman like the side eye. Reigns played into like the whole Goodfellas commercial, what am I, a joke to you, and then shoved Jimmy in the face. Paul Heyman 
dips out of the ring, like three fourths of his body in the background is just all the way out of the ring, which I thought was hysterical. Jimmy then got pissed and went to step to Roman, but Jay got between them and he said something, but we couldn't hear it because Fox was muting the broadcast because the fans were chanting, holy shit, or something else with a minor curse word in it. Because heaven forbid. I, I thought it might've been, yeah, I thought it might've been UF'd up or something. I don't know. Maybe, but heaven forbid something gets through at, you know, 915, uh, you know, on a Friday night. Anyway, Jay apologized and asked for one more opportunity to bring the tag team titles back. Heyman then came back through the ropes, feeling safe again, and explained that the titles would actually come back to the bloodline because Reigns and Sokoa were challenging Owens and Zayn for the tag team championships at Night of Champions. Jay did a great job pumping Jimmy up about it, like while Paul was talking, only for both of them to be completely blindsided by the news. Reigns then dedicated the forthcoming victory and their tag team title reign to the Wild Samoans before that trio left with the Usos staying behind, stewing and upset in the ring. And I just thought this was a tremendous piece of business. So much subtle and so many blatant pieces of manipulation and gaslighting. Uh, it just really goes to show how much business picks up when Reigns is around. Everything just feels bigger and more important. Everyone here played their roles perfectly. And this is what I was talking about. It was either last week or a couple of weeks ago, how people were dogging the bloodline storyline saying, oh, we're getting bored of this. It's so repetitive. It goes through waves. It was in a valley for the last couple of weeks because Reigns wasn't there. And guess what? He's back and it's peaking again. Now, as far as the booking decision, it absolutely creates intrigue for the family dynamic portion of the entire thing. That said, you might not like this, but I'm going to do it anyways. I'd be lying if I didn't say I wasn't sick of KO and Sammy against the bloodline. Now consider Reigns has not defended this title since WrestleMania and Night of Champions, the event at which this match is happening, is literally the 1000th day of this universal title reign. Yet he won't be defending the undisputed title on that show. That's just nonsensical to me. He's going to go 90 days without defending the title, assuming he does so at Money in the Bank. This, despite a perfect opportunity for the title to be on the line, literally on day 1000. I don't know how you book a show called Night of Champions with the top champion wrestling, but not defending his title. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But again, as a segment and from an entertainment standpoint, this was straight fire on Friday night. I just do not get the booking decision at all. Something had to have changed, right? Like they had to have had some plan, some match for Roman at Night of Champions, and they either decided to pull it or somebody wasn't available or didn't want to go to Saudi or, or something, right? Like, you have to think so. I mean, because it, it makes no sense otherwise why he would not be defending for his 1000th day. That's the headline. That's the that's what you want coming out of this show. That's the main event of the a, show. A, yeah. A new a new world heavyweight champion and Roman is the champion for the 1000th day. Uh, unless like it's I guess it's possible that they want the world heavyweight championship to main event the show to make it feel like a big deal. Maybe. I, I either way though, I don't understand how you make this decision. The Aside from that, Oh, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, there's only two other options to get that title involved, and I don't like either of them. So one of them 
is next week on SmackDown. Someone comes out, whether it's Adam Pierce or whoever, and it's like either you're contractually obligated to defend the title or this is a night of champions show. Every title has to be defended. You have to have two matches on the show. And perhaps Reigns wrestles earlier in the show and then the tag team title matches later. Yeah. He's tired. Sokova takes the L. That's one option. Option two is they do a winner take all match where Reigns puts his titles on the line and I guess they designate like Sami Zayn to be the one or each of them, one for Zayn, one for yeah. Owens would take the titles against the tag team championships. The problem there is you're either are taking the tag team titles away from Sami and KO or you're doing a DQ finish. And it's just like none of these are good options, which leads me to believe this is all we're going to get on the show. It just I think it's totally nonsensical. I do. Yeah. As for the rest of it, Roman's promo was great. Everything he said made sense. He It makes sense that he's upset at the Usos. And, and not only did he just say to Jimmy, what do you think I'm, I'm, I'm joking, you think I'm a, a funny guy. He says, do you think I'm trying to pop you? Do, do, do you think we're off camera or something? And I'm trying to like, <laughs> that was such a great link because Jimmy's so the one who breaks, yeah. you know, so often with the Sammy stuff. And I, so I love that. It's like, He's bringing in a real thing that we all recognize if you pay attention to the show, but also being his character about it and shoving him in the face right after he did that. So we, so he didn't like, you weren't in on the joke long enough to realize it was like a joke. Mm -hmm. and so I just, I thought that was really great stuff. And it's just, you know, every time Roman's on screen, he's just the most fascinating person on the show. He's the top guy for the reason. Like, like he's, he's been the champion for almost a thousand days for a reason because he's just really really good at this and every time he shows up you're like man it's been two or three weeks since we last saw him i hate having to go that long again so like every everything about it was good i i, I guess the, unless i missed something or you said it basically roman gets this tag team match because he wants it yeah well that's the one thing about bloodline that throughout the last three years has always been easy from a booking standpoint is Paul Heyman is just a master negotiator and Roman Reigns has so much power. So anything they want, they can get. So yeah, the whole, the idea was that Paul Heyman had to pull so many strings to make it happen, but he did make it happen. That's what he said as part of his yeah. promo. And and so like, that's that's fine. It's just, it's also weird because we got last week, Cammy, Kevin and Sami Zayn being like, all right, we're done with the bloodline. You know, like, <laughs> like right. we were done with it. And so now we're not. Well, the, again, that's like the frustrating part of the entire thing. And it's yeah. just like if this had been for a main event on SmackDown or honestly a B-level show, like if mm -hmm. this was on Backlash instead of the Usos match, right? Then I would have said, oh, okay, great. Like totally cool to have it. It's fine for a regular pay-per-view premium live event for Reigns to not defend that title. But again, it's the context. Night of Champions the day 1000 of his reign and you don't have the guy defend the undisputed WWE Universal Championship so that he can beat whoever he beats and then celebrate day 1000. Yeah. Let, let me also ask this. Do we, is this clearly for the undisputed tag team belts? As of now, now, you know, as of Friday Not Night Smackdown. Smackdown belts? No, as of Friday Night Smackdown, it's for the undisputed tag team championships. It is. Because I, I was thinking, like, here's an opportunity. If you want to split the titles, they can take the SmackDown titles off of them right here. Theoretically, but, but then you... Both. No, theoretically you could, but then you have Owens and Zayn losing, and it's just like, 
why should they lose and not lose both? Like, it's just, it's really convoluted. And, and that brings us to like, there's a couple other topics to cover here, right? The first is that Reigns on his way out, looked at the world heavyweight championship and rubbed his chin, but he didn't address it during the show. And Heyman promised he would. It seemed to me more like a wink to the fans who keep absurdly talk. Oh, obviously Reigns is just going to win the world heavyweight championship and he'll have all three titles. Like, I think it was a wink to that. The second topic is that Sami Zayn particularly, but also Kevin Owens are actually going to Saudi Arabia where obviously they have not been. Now, without getting technical, the Syrian government has repaired its relationship with Saudi recently. So Sammy does not really have the same roadblock he did before. And obviously any money he makes from the show, he could also donate to Sammy for Syria. So it doesn't really matter in that aspect. But still, it's quite notable that they're going for the first time. And the third topic, um, which is more prominent for this show, is we now have a legitimate concern about Reigns and Sokoa actually winning the titles. And this is what you just brought up. I just can't imagine it. I mean, of course, it's possible. It's happened in WWE before where the world champion has also been the tag team champion. But I mean, it can't and won't happen, right? I mean, that'd be one way for Roman Reigns to get a third belt on him. Um, I like I Four. I mean, he'd have two. <laughs> he'd have four belts. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Four. <laughs> well, well, again, that's where, yeah. like, if they had explained it's just for the... If they say it's just for the SmackDown tag titles, then I'm way more intrigued of, like, this could be a possibility. We, we, we've we had instances where only one of the titles was on the line. The Usos yeah. defended, like, both of them separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of them separately. So, like, it's possible, but, again, they, they, these things aren't made clear when they should be made clear. No, this is for the undisputed tag team championship. Okay. I I just, I don't know. It's, it's an extremely weird situation to be in. Like it, it, it retroactively makes drafting Roman and solo Sokoa at number one, like make a little bit more sense, even though they had, because they were a team as a team. Right. It does. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I I don't know. Um, I, if this was, it's for the undisputed, Champ, it is. Belt, so I, I yeah. don't think, I don't think Roman and Solo win this. I no. think maybe yeah. the Usos cost them. I, I don't think they blow it for them on purpose. I, I don't know. Solo, I guess, takes the pin again. I think it's a situation where like they are trying to do good and interfere for them and help them, but they screw up, and therefore Sami Zayn and KO take advantage of Solo. You know, stunner, Haluva kick, one, two, three. But I mean, again, I don't have as much of an issue with the match happening as much as I have an issue with it happening on this show with right. Reigns not defending that title. Again, if this had been any other pay-per-view, like a B-level pay-per-view premium live event or a TV main event, I think it's brilliant. And, and I love the booking. I really do like the booking that we got on Friday. It's just what the booking means that I don't like. Yep. Totally agree. And then lastly on SmackDown, just real quick, um, the Usos confronted LWO, who were just speaking Spanish to themselves. Uh, They took out their aggression on Wild and Del Toro, just kind of being angry, thinking that they were laughing at them. So Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar walked up with Santos making a crack about Roman and then scaring them off. This led to a match being booked next week. So it's the Usos against uh, Rey and Santos, not the actual tag team in LWO. Now, hopefully... This is a first step into LWO 
becoming the next set of challengers for Bloodline. I would love that. I don't know if that's going to transpire, but I was curious what you thought about that quick backstage segment. Loved it. It was fresh. It was new. It was setting up the Usos doing something that's not Sami Zayn and K. And if they're not going to be involved in the tag team championship, they got to do something. And this is something. And this can this is an easy way to set up another kind of mini faction warfare type thing. There's so many different things you can do between the LWO and the Bloodline that would and it's just, that just further legitimizes legitimizes LWO. So uh, a little thing, but it got me excited. As mentioned, Chris was here for the SmackDown portion of the main event, which means it is the Silver King with you the rest of the way to break down these same two topics as they transpired across Raw on Monday night. So Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, they opened Raw addressing the title match at Night of Champions. They said it was a gift because it gives them individually and together another chance for revenge directly over Reigns this time rather than the bloodline as a whole. Sami said Roman has gone unchecked while cheating for his entire reign before noting it's Reigns himself who is responsible for the bloodline crumbling. Zayn then went freaking wild calling Reigns every name he probably could think of before refusing to be the one who gave Roman what he wanted, the tag team titles. Judgment Day interrupted with Owens immediately going crazy. He's like, all right, you guys are out here. You want to fight and let's just freaking fight. Uh, he just wanted to, in that moment, fight someone other than the bloodline. Zayn calmed him down to see exactly what Judgment Day really wanted in continuation of what was honestly a really hysterical moment between the two guys. You know, back when they won the titles and we first got them on TV, I think we looked at their on-camera relationship as like, oh, they're planting seeds for one of them to turn. But what it really is, is two longtime best friends who just constantly give each other shit and put each other down because that's what friends do. So when you look at it, our, our comments then in retrospect now, it's like, yeah, okay, in wrestling, you might think that is what was happening in kayfabe. But in reality, they're just portraying a really true friendship where one guy gets on the other guy's nerves and they tell them that. And we're seeing it actually play out on TV. So I really loved this segment that we got, the way they look at each other. And it's something that's continued over multiple weeks on WWE TV. Anyway, back to what happened Monday night. So I think it was Owens who referred to Judgment Day as gentlemen and Dom, which again was also funny. Finn Balor clarified that they just wanted to talk. But if the guys do retain the titles from the Bloodline at Night of Champions, the line for number one contendership starts with them. Balor and Damian Priest got heat. Rhea Ripley got mommy cheers. So Sammy suggested they hear from Dominic Mysterio in a really planned like nuclear heat type of moment just so he could get his ass booed. And of course, that's exactly what happened. KO just wanted to punch him. He's like, Sammy, can I just punch him in the face? Sammy's like, all right, fine. Rhea steps in front of Dom. And instead of him punching Dom, she punched Owens. And he took a brief beating until Zayn ultimately cleared the ring with a chair. This was a really hot opening segment. Sammy and KO were both on one here. Owens was legitimately funny as hell throughout the entire thing. Judgment Day played their role perfectly, setting up not just a short-term battle, but perhaps a long-term feud as well. And for the first 12 minutes of a show, you just really could not have asked for anything more than what we got here, unless you are one of those people who likes their professional wrestling shows, or I should say needs their professional wrestling shows to start with wrestling. From an entertainment standpoint, I could not have asked for any more. I will say, though, with the champions fighting Imperium last week and then set to fight Balor and Priest on Raw, in the moment, I could not help but think 
maybe this title reign actually is going to end either at Night of Champions or soon thereafter because that's the two top contenders on Raw that Owens and Zayn would have already fought and defeated in as many weeks following the draft. Now, this feeling was actually furthered for me with two different backstage segments. One in which Paul Heyman showed up and was talking to Balor and Priest in the background of a Becky Lynch type of walking, talking type of deal. And another where he shook the hands of Imperium, appearing to come to an agreement with them. Imperium was heavily involved in Raw. And unfortunately, the way this show is formatted, I can't now go spend 30 minutes talking about everything Imperium did before getting back to this. So we're going to talk more about Imperium later, but they did factor into the main event of Raw, which was KO and Sammy against Balor and Priest. Rhea and Dom came down a few minutes into the match, but got ejected a couple minutes later after they interfered as Owens was in the middle of a really hot run. Xavier Woods then ran out to attack Dom. More on that later, because that's a whole nother thing that kind of got mixed into this main event. Heyman came out. He started speaking to Reigns on his phone as Priest beat down Owens. He had a Raw visitor's badge on his phone and was shown speaking to Judgment Day in the background of a backstage segment earlier in the show, as I just mentioned. Owens ended a Priest run with a swanton bomb as Zayn jumped onto the apron for a hot tag in what felt like the first time we saw him in the match in like 10 minutes. And it was a hot tag, truly, as Sammy had a great sequence with Finn. Imperium came out of the crowd to distract Zayn after he got up on Balor. Owens stunned Priest. Zayn hit an exploder suplex on Balor into the corner, followed by the Huluva kick, but Imperium distracted the referee. KO shoved Gunther and ate an apron choke slam from Priest. Sammy then hit an incredible tope on Damien, but he didn't really catch him, and Zayn landed back flat on the outside. He appeared okay because he got right back up and into the ring. He set up for another Huluva kick as Imperium distracted again, and Gunther grabbed Sammy's leg. Balor then hit him with a shotgun dropkick and the coup de gras for the 1-2-3 over the champions in a very long main event match. Heyman smiled menacingly while speaking to Reigns on his phone. The babyfaces regrouped after an excused loss, and they got outnumbered 5-2 here. And all of this happened as Judgment Day and Imperium celebrated separately in their own groups. Now, clearly, there is a ton to unpack here. The match was tremendous, just great wrestling from these four guys. Clearly, my earlier concerns were calmed with the heels actually winning a non-title match, making them presumably the next number one contenders should the faces retain their titles at Night of Champions. And that would make for a hell of a match at Money in the Bank with the reason for Judgment Day to win being Balor in Europe. Heyman on Raw was fun. It was explained well, both with the visitor pass and a tiny bit of personal external logic that he's a manager agent talking to management and he's not a superstar. It's always rough when champions lose a non-title match. But what's notable here is how strong these guys looked in defeat. This is not a one of, one of the champions getting rolled up in a singles match or, you know, just a, a chair shot on the outside, a guy getting thrown into the ring. It was literally five on two in this situation. It took the Bloodlines Council pulling the strings, an entire faction in Judgment Day, and a strong group in Imperium all working together just to beat KO and Sammy again in a non-title match. Now, the one thing that's tough to understand is what exactly are Heyman's agreements with these factions and groups, and what do they get out of helping the bloodline? 
it made sense the last time he showed up because they were mutually helping each other with their respective feuds. But this time, there's really nothing that, as of yet, has been made clear for them to gain from helping Bloodline weaken the champions. Now, that said, I can book the damn territory for it if you want. Heyman agrees to help Judgment Day win the tag team titles. That's a backup plan to Reigns and Sokoa at Night of Champions. Why would he do that? Because if they win, they promise to vacate the SmackDown title, opening it back up for the bloodline on that show. Imperium is happy to help because KO and Sammy insulted them last week. This would take the titles off a face team while making them look incredibly strong because it takes two factions and a group to defeat them. Mutually beneficial across the board. But again, that's me booking the damn territory. We'll see if we actually get a real reason for it. One other point. Heyman should have been shown arriving at the arena in the first 30 minutes of Raw. Why is he here? He's a SmackDown guy. That is a thread that could have been unraveled throughout the show with the segments we already got. It's a minor gripe. I just think it would have helped it a little bit better. Ultimately, we wound up with a compelling six-man for next week, the title match still set for Night of Champions, and a new pair of presumed number one contenders once that show ends, as long as the titles are retained. Plus, most importantly, it made for entertaining TV, and Judgment Day got a much-needed win with Priest and Balor taking a bunch of L's recently. It's really tough to argue against the booking here. Extremely strong, and again, most importantly, it was entertaining. Now, that wraps up the Roman Reigns bloodline feud that's going on with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. So let's wrap up what happened this week regarding the World Heavyweight Championship. Rollins got a video package and a sit-down interview with Corey Graves on Raw. They went back to NXT with Rollins defeating Jinder Mahal to become the first NXT champion. That led into The Shield. And yes, Dean Ambrose was shown in the highlights. In part two of the interview, Graves asked Rollins about all the iterations of his character over the years. Seth said this time his hands are completely off the wheel and it's the most authentic version of himself in complete synergy with the fans. He said it's the first time in his career where he's not actively forcing change, but it's the fans who are serving as a catalyst. Rollins said the time has come for a change again in WWE with no one at the top actually wanting to take risks. He said he wants to do the World Heavyweight Championship the way it's supposed to be done. And then Graves asked about Reigns and the tease is that he's going to address that next week in part three of the interview. What I was most juiced about here is we actually got a real sit-down interview on a wrestling TV show. Not 45 seconds of spliced answers like an AEW or two to three minutes in one segment like WWE normally does. Video packages, multiple questions, multiple full answers, and a tease for even more next week. I have to imagine we're gonna get something similar with Styles on SmackDown, but if I had to guess, it's not gonna be nearly as extensive as what we got with Rollins. Everything about this continues to point to Rollins winning the title. And again, sometimes predictable things are good. There's absolutely no reason to go in another direction from that potential booking. WWE right now has zero male babyface singles champions. Rollins is incredibly deserving. He's riving a wave of natural momentum. And there's a ton of heels on Raw that he can battle as champion. And none of that is to say that Styles is undeserving, but the guy just came back, he's on the other brand in a faction, and dragging this out to crown Rollins down the line at SummerSlam or something else, that would be unnecessary. Maybe if it was Edge, as we discussed earlier, 
You could book this all the way out to the fall or maybe even WrestleMania with Rollins getting over and retiring him. But the way this is being booked, it just has to be Rollins. Now, one other topic that we addressed last week and again earlier today is the fact that this tournament all kind of transpired in a two-show period. Last week on Raw and, of course, last week on SmackDown, which we just discussed earlier. And we wondered, you know, with so many shows left until Night of Champions, why are they doing this? Is it just because they want to build that singular title match as the main event of the show or perhaps the co-main event of the show? And certainly there seems to be something to that. But a major leak came out late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, and it's not really a WWE or wrestling spoiler. It's actually a Marvel spoiler. So if you don't want to be spoiled, go ahead and check the episode description and skip ahead to the good, the bad, and the ugly. But photos and videos were captured of Seth Rollins on set at the new Captain America movie, which is called Captain America New World Order. And by the way, I would love it if they put some type of NWO reference in there. I doubt they will because it's a different type, obviously, of New World Order. But alas, it's funny. Anyway, Rollins is fully dressed up. And I will admit, seeing him at first, I was like, is he actually wearing gear of a character in a movie? Or is that just him walking to the ring? It wasn't that dissimilar. But he was fully dressed up and the video showed him acting and working with another actor and actress to kind of, I think, get his pacing down or whatever the case might be. Point is, he's going to be in the new Captain America movie. And one must assume one of the reasons why they cut this tournament so short and did it the way they did it is because they did a taped sit-down interview for this week on Raw. And clearly that's continuing next week on Raw, which leads one to believe he is wherever they are taping Captain America actively shooting the film and therefore would have been unavailable for WWE TV. But given he was going to be in the title match, they had to get the tournament done early. That way he could make his place all set and then still do the movie. So now it all kind of comes together. It makes sense why they did the tournament the way they did it. Knowing all of this, could they have started it before backlash? Perhaps. Yeah, I think they could have, but they gave Rollins the win over Omas at backlash to full further establish him. They returned AJ Styles and the OC on television beforehand, which got them into the tournament in the first place. So really, WWE had a time crunch here, and I think they did the best they could given all the circumstances. So that explains Rollins. That wraps up our takes on the World Heavyweight Championship and, as mentioned, the Bloodline, which leads us into the second segment on today's show. And folks, it is going to be an in-depth one because a ton happened Monday night. Let's move to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez. I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some. Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right. Now, we do have a ton to discuss, as I just kind of previewed there. Let me start by noting, I found this to be a banner week for WWE TV after some rough episodes coming out of WrestleMania, none more so than the Raw after WrestleMania. Spoiler alert, there is only one negative grade in this segment across five hours of WWE TV. Now, obviously, I had issues with the tag team title booking. We've already discussed that. But in terms of everything else that happened, only one negative grade. And even that one, it's kind of on margin. 
What was most impressive about Raw in particular this week is I legitimately cannot remember an episode of WWE TV that set up more future angles and feuds while simultaneously introducing and reintroducing superstars while also actively telling ongoing stories. This is what the post-backlash episode should have been surrounding those tournament matches. It actually felt like the roster was truly refreshed, not only with personnel, but with interesting storylines that played out across the entire three hours. And in a significant contrast to last week, I did not notice a single instance of piped-in audio across the entire show. The Greensboro crowd was awesome on Monday night, but WWE in the past has sweetened even with awesome crowds. Now, granted, the two people where it was plainly obvious last week that there was piped-in booze, Brock Lesnar and Trish Stratus, neither of them were on TV this week. But still, the show came across so much better without all that bullshit. So let's go ahead and get into everything that happened across Raw and SmackDown over the last couple of days. Cody Rhodes opened hour three of Raw to another massive ovation. Cody put over Greensboro being the home of Starcade. He shit on Lesnar, disrespecting them by not appearing. Cody told the Scorpion and Frog fable, with Brock, of course, being the Scorpion and a Hunter. Then he talked about scarring and embarrassing Lesnar. Rhodes addressed the longtime criticisms about Brock, but put him over as better than 99% of the superstars in WWE, basically everyone except for him. Cody said nothing was cheap about countering a wrestling move into another wrestling move in a wrestling ring, which is exactly what I said at the end of that match. Love that line. He referenced Lesnar once being the next big thing, but pointed out he's now the one who's next and Brock is simply in his way. Good promo. No notes. This is probably the least I've ever had to say about a Cody segment since he returned to WWE. They have succeeded doing what they failed to do ahead of their first match, actually telling a story. We got reasoning last week. We got further storytelling this week. Cody knocked the promo out of the park. The fans loved it. That's all there is to say. The women's tag team championships were on the line on SmackDown this Friday. Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez against Bayley and Dakota Kai. Bailey cut a promo for damage control backstage with Io Sky rolling her eyes the entire time. She said to tell Roman that SmackDown belongs to them. The NXT champions watched from backstage. Kai avoided Rodriguez's corkscrew elbow drop, but Raquel immediately hit a double choke slam. Then she swung Liv off her shoulders into damage control. Kai got the blind tag for an assisted avalanche meteora, and she, she seemed in that moment to legitimately hurt her knee. Bailey dragged her over for the tag and demanded Io grab a title. Dakota seemingly was okay enough to grab another title and jump back on the apron. So she distracted the referee. Bailey got bounced by Liv into EO on the apron. Sky got knocked off with Morgan catching Bailey in an O'Connor roll for the title retention. Again, an O'Connor roll is not a roll-up. Totally different moves. This is exactly what it needed to be. They got a good amount of time in the ring. Further fuel was added to the damage control split and the faces retaining was obviously a must. It was an easy good and hopefully Dakota's okay because the last thing she needs is another knee injury. Now, Liv apparently got hurt late in this match. When Dakota kicked her in the head, I assume that's a concussion unless they showed a clip that had nothing to do with an actual injury that was suffered. Raquel was backstage at Raw with Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville. They were angry that they weren't getting the title match they petitioned for last week. Sonya wanted the title stripped. Chelsea talked shit. Raquel challenged her one-on-one. Pierce made the match and obviously... 
She hesitated, but ultimately accepted. And again, folks, these women's tag team titles remain effing cursed ever since Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out, which by the way, was one year ago this week. It is absolutely unbelievable. So we eventually got Rodriguez against Green one-on-one. Sonia whispered to Chelsea at the bell, only for Green to immediately eat a huge boot from Raquel. I got worried in that moment it was going to be a squash. Uh, But DeVille distracted as Rodriguez ate a backstabber and was propelled into the middle turnbuckle. Raquel flung Chelsea into the top rope, hitting three fallaway slams, a corkscrew sent on, and the Tahana bomb for the win in about five minutes. After the bell, Raquel was walking her way back up the ramp with her back turned, you know, celebrating to the crowd. And, you know, every time we see that, you know that someone's going to get attacked. Well, that's exactly what happened. Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler made their return with an attack on the ramp on Rodriguez. They demanded she defend the titles with or without Morgan or catch the exact same beating every single week. Then Rousey extended her arm with Baszler booting Raquel right in like her armpit shoulder area to end the segment. Lots to unpack here. Obviously, most important is Liv's injury. Super unfortunate. Let's, of course, hope it's short term no matter what. I was pleasantly surprised the match was not a squash as I was worried they would lean into propping up Raquel despite Chelsea being a challenger. It was actually entertaining with Green getting in some good work and I didn't mind it being five minutes given the difference in prominence and disparity in booking between both women on WWE TV to this point. I would have liked more than five minutes of wrestling for women on Raw, but the women got a lot of story time on the show. There were three or four other segments involving women's stuff, and that's not counting the other times that we saw Rhea Ripley. It does include the post-match that we got here. I imagine that Chelsea and Sonia are now being jumped as challengers, given the plan for Ronda and Shayna to be champions around WrestleMania had it not been for injuries. We still have the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions over on SmackDown. That's a bit confusing. I just don't know how this is going to play out. That is what remains to be determined at this point. Does Liv get back for a title match? Do they use that injury as an excuse for the title change? Or do they perhaps have Raquel defend one-on-two as an idiot babyface? We're going to have to see the booking going forward. But for now, this was good. Quality backstage segment, match, and attack. It was also probably the best Rousey has sounded on the mic in a year. Bianca Belair had a scheduled championship celebration on SmackDown. The show was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and Belair wore those ugly-ass colors for her school. Her family was in attendance, and she was announced as the longest-reigning women's champion of the modern era with an absolute shit-ton of pyro. Before anything else happened, Asuka ran down wearing gloves without her face paint. She extended a hand, so Belair shook it, only to take a massive spray of mist directly to the dome, with Asuka laughing her ass off in a complete heel turn. She also taunted those who came to try and save Bianca, as Belair sold the mist like it was absolute death. It was as if her eyes were burning out of her head, both in the ring and then even later in the training room when she was getting checked. They went back to her. Now, on one hand, it is really strange to be going back to the Asuka feud. But on the other, this segment was literally better than every single thing that they did on the road to WrestleMania together. And Asuka, now clearly being defined as a heel again, is a solid move. Bianca really needs to lose this damn title. If this heel change and reformed angle is just for another Bianca wins LOL at Night of Champions, that's going to be massively disappointing. But that is my expectation. 
So it's a provisional good because I'm judging the segment by its own merits. And again, it was better than every single thing that they did on the road to WrestleMania. You rub me just right every week. By the way, let me tell you the booking right now. And when I say the booking, I mean my booking. Asuka beats Bel Air at Night of Champions. EO beats Asuka at SummerSlam. Can I sell you on that? I bet you I can. Moving back to Raw, Becky Lynch got a big pop as the first segment in hour two. She explained how she had been going through struggles recently and therefore asked a couple legends in Lita and Trish Stratus for help. She put over Lita overall and Trish for not losing a step, but obviously she was angry that she forgot Stratus was a snake in the grass. Becky said, thank you, Trish, for reigniting the fire inside her. Then she dropped a damn fine line, quote, I am it, I have done it, made it, don't need a championship to prove it, and I will be it until I say it is over. You want it, you've got it. And she officially challenged four Night of Champions. Short, sweet, and to the point, it was clearly a promo with a single goal. The man is back. And Lynch completely knocked it out of the park. Classic promo from Bex. She remains, I will say this forever, the best female talker of all time. And this was a good way to get into a long delayed match. Now, Ripley watched Lynch's promo from backstage, teasing a future feud between them. Before she got asked about Natalia joining Raw, Natty quickly interrupted her saying, she only got involved because Ripley was beating down a woman last week that she had already defeated and her actions are preventing the rest of the division from respecting her. Rhea pointed out, Natty's just trying to become relevant again and she's using it as an excuse to get a title match and that if Natty tried to get involved in her shit again, then Rhea would just end her career. Dom then came in to walk her off. Now, I suppose they're saving the official challenge for next week to space stuff out, but it really felt like the perfect time to make a title match challenge for Night of Champions. Now, maybe the original plan was TV and not Night of Champions, given there's three women's matches planned for the show. But if the tag team title match is off, you would think this would get elevated onto that card. I don't really know what's going on, but good promo work from both of them. It was a solid segment that made a really lackluster but understandable piece of booking last week a bit better this week. So Xavier Woods fought Dominic Mysterio. Dom got plenty of heat cutting a short promo walking to the ring for a direct rematch from last week. It's the first direct rematch we've seen in a long time. Woods hit a nice pull-up vertical suplex and got into it with Ripley at ringside. There was some real strong action both ways here with Dom actually showing out in a couple spots, one of them being a really cool like running shoulder tackle that he hit. Woods got knees up on a splash and then hit a gut buster that largely missed. Rhea saved Dom from the springboard elbow just like last week. Woods took Dom out with a tope, but then took blindside shots first from Ripley, then from Dom, before getting moved into a slightly botched pinning combination with Dom's heels for the victory by Mysterio in 11 minutes. So again, judging this in a silo, it's an easy good. Fun match, smart moments to refer to the fact they just had the match last week, etc. It did seem completely unnecessary, though, from a booking standpoint. I'd have much preferred to see a second women's match on the show than a repeat of this match. But to be fair, WWE is doing very few direct rematches these days. It wasn't that bothersome. And they played it out in the actual main event of the show where Woods attacked Dom while he was walking up the ramp after interfering in that match. So clearly there's a plan. They're doing something with this. In the end, Dom got legitimized with a second straight win over Xavier, and that is important for him. Now, Imperium was menacingly walking backstage, and this was the start 
of like a six or seven segment period where Gunther was either directly involved or segments happened as a result of something that involved him, if that makes sense. Anyway, Imperium was menacingly walking when Akira Tozawa nearly bumped into them only to do an immediate about face and dip out in a really funny callback to last week. I love the idea of him accidentally approaching all these big bads on the show and then just going away from them as quick as he possibly can. Imperium later entered and commandeered the announce table with Gunther standing atop it and getting shot down from low with the camera. Gunther put over his historic title reign saying, no one on Raw has earned a chance at his title, let alone his respect. This was a preview to a number one contender battle royal. It was an eye-catching presentation of an already eye-catching dude and a good way to get into the match. Oh, and Gunther also called himself the Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, which is the official name of the title and something I have not heard in, I don't know, 15 years. Love that. So the number one contendership battle royal immediately followed. We got parts of entrances for Ricochet, Bronson Reed, Mustafa Ali, a returning Apollo Crews, and Matt Riddle. Debuting in this match were J.D. McDonough, Von Wagner, Zion Quinn, and Indu Schur. Maximum Male Models and Los Lotharios were also part of the match. McDonough got eliminated by Dolph Ziggler early, so J.D. went wild, destroying him into the steel steps. Alpha Academy and the Viking Raiders also started a feud, with Reed eliminating Otis and Ivar simultaneously to a really big pop. Johnny Gargano and Mustafa Ali had a string with Ali hitting a rolling blockbuster and Gargano a pulling spear through the ropes. Ricochet then jumped off Ali's back and hit a shooting star press onto a crouched Gargano, which was easily the spot of the match. Reed caught Riddick Moss with a one-armed Samoan drop. Cruz caught him with a flying blockbuster off the ropes. I think Corey Graves called him a creator wrestler in this match, and that was hysterical. Then Bronson did a really sick Uranagi where he took Gargano under one arm and put him into Ricochet, who was under his other arm. Riddle caught uh, Reed with a floating bro before Moss had an insane, really high energy shoulder tackle only to get thrown over the ropes. Riddle eliminated Gargano with his legs and Gunther sent Imperium after Riddle on the apron with Reed getting an easy elimination. This happened because Riddle actually stared them down on his way into the ring. So that left Reed, Ricochet, and Ali. Ricochet kept going after Bronson while he was on the apron. He wound up jumping onto him, but Bronson caught him on his shoulders. Ali then caught both of them with a springboard dropkick for a double elimination to win an extremely well-booked and paced battle royal. Ali actually got a shit ton of pyro after the bell with WWE presumably trying to make him look like a big deal specifically for pre-match packages and stuff in Saudi Arabia. And really my only hope upon all hopes is that this is not a one-off short-term push for Ali. Obviously, he's not going to win the title, but this should be used to springboard him and legitimize him into a mid-card contender rather than low-card chum, which is what he has been for so long. Now, despite the reasoning for it, we are getting a first-time match that will wind up being a sneaky banger because we all know that Ali can go in the ring, and Gunther is Gunther after all. Even my one problem with this initially, JD debuting and getting eliminated early with NXT free agents staying in the match longer, that ultimately made sense because it was purposeful to develop his first feud with Ziggler, plus even more happened later. We'll get to that in a moment. So this was a very good segment and a match that, at least for me, over-delivered. It was the best battle royal we've gotten on TV out of any company in a long time. And again, it set up four different feuds. JD and Dolph, Academy and Raiders, Gunther and Riddle, 
Reed and Ricochet, plus the title match for Gunther. That is quality booking right there. There were also a couple other looks between Gunther and Gargano at one point, the models and Dexter Loomis. A ton happened in this battle royal. Later backstage, Ali was ragging on Alpha Academy for being complaining losers while he was excited that his positive mindset led to a title match. He ran into Imperium with Gunther saying he feels regret that Ali is going to have to travel halfway around the world to take a major beating and suffer the worst loss of his career. Ali shook his hand saying he felt bad for Gunther that he had to travel so far just to get beaten and lose his title. And that led to Gunther smiling, which Ali remarked about. It was a good backstage segment, but what stood out to me is Gunther's intercontinental title has been circumcised. One of the straps looks like the strong hand from Scary Movie. I understand why they did it for the women because their upper bodies are smaller than the men, but it makes no sense to circumcise Gunther's title. It looks awful. I mean, the intercontinental title is already ugly. This makes it look horrendous. You have Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns walking around carrying two titles each with really long straps all the way down to their belly buttons. And you have Gunther that has one that just goes to his mid chest. It looks so freaking terrible, but the segment was good. They got to fix that title. It is atrocious. Go look, go look at it yourself and tell me I'm wrong. So then about a half hour after the battle Royal, we got a black and white promo package for McDonough. You could not help but be captivated by the stark visuals here. He said after years of wrestling, he realized he needed to be a disruptor and a destroyer who actually digs the graves. And he kept the Irish ace nickname as well. Kathy Kelly then later caught him leaving the arena. JD explained his attack on Dolph was to make a statement, putting over all of Ziggler's accolades on his way out. Then out of the top corner of the screen, you could see Balor walk into view on an elevated ramp. Now, for those of you who do not know, McDonough is the former Jordan Devlin who is legitimately in real life Balor's protege. Like he's literally from Bray County, Wicklow, Ireland. It's gonna be interesting to see if McDonough joins Judgment Day and whether that's a strengthening of the group or something that ultimately tears them apart, like when The Rock joined Nation Domination and kind of tried to take over from the inside. I could definitely see that happening with Balor splitting off as a baby face. Anyway, clear and obvious good. A tremendous presentation of McDonough throughout the evening that in one night was better than the way his entire character came across in like a year of NXT in the United States. We also got a promo package for Cruz, who was in the Battle Royal, showing highlights from his latest NXT run. As he jogged down a street, Apollo talked about earning his way back, never backing down from adversity, and becoming a man his kids are proud to call their dad. WWE completely went away from that like horrific third eye gimmick that he was doing on NXT. It was a road to nowhere, here, he looked and sounded great, easy, good. And finally, Gunther approached KO and Sammy backstage, angry at how they disrespected Imperium last week when he was not in attendance. Owens was tired of the bullshit and pressed for a fight, promising to find a partner. Gunther ultimately agreed. It makes a little too much sense for it to be Riddle, given the bloodline feud and Gunther sicking Imperium on him during the Battle Royal, especially because we got a pop-up of Heyman shaking Gunther's hand later. But what's interesting is that Nakamura and Ali are both legitimate options for partners as well, given their booking on Monday night. Another example of it being such a solid show in that regard. Also, as mentioned before, there was the smartly placed Raw Visitors badge on Heyman's cell phone because he's tethered to SmackDown. I loved that tidbit. And as I mentioned earlier as well, Heyman was shown talking to Judgment Day. So he was all over the show. So let's just get something clear, okay? We got 
six and change segments surrounding the Intercontinental Champion and that battle royal in some form or fashion. Really more, but I jammed a few of them together. And all of them were good, including this last one. I found it to be tremendous storytelling, storyline weaving, feud creation, and character introductions over a significant portion of Raw. They are really presenting Gunther like a big deal and doing a nice job elevating those around him, both in Imperium and outside of Imperium. Plus, Heyman making good with the two other heel groups, both on Raw, is extremely interesting, as I mentioned earlier. So a ton to like about Gunther, Imperium, and everything they did around the Intercontinental Championship on Monday night. Now, it was actually Shinsuke Nakamura and The Miz who had the first match on Raw. Nakamura immediately did come on after Miz was still trying to partner with a handshake at the bell. Miz did a neckbreaker over the middle rope. There was a strong back and forth until Nakamura hit the sliding German suplex. Miz dipped away from Kinshasa and grabbed the ring apron, pulling it into the ring. With the referee distracted, he gouged Shinsuke's eyes, but was not smart enough to pull him away from the ropes when he tried to cover him. So Shinsuke easily broke the fall with his leg. After a failed inside cradle, Nakamura hit Kinshasa for the win. It was a really nice showcase match for Shin to start his Raw career. Legitimately, the only problem with this was TV time. It went 10 minutes, which is a good length. But as viewers at home, we only saw half of it, if that, because of the commercial break. At least Picture in Picture gives viewers a chance to see the wrestling if they so desire. But this didn't even have that. We probably got four minutes of viewable wrestling in a 10-minute match. So it was good, but WWE must figure out how to plan TV matches so half or more isn't during commercial. This was not an issue that I can remember the rest of the night, but it was an issue in this match. Sheamus was stewing over his loss on SmackDown with the Brawling Brutes backstage when Pretty Deadly debuted, asking how to fill out some forms. They took pot shots at the Brutes, getting the team rabid with Sheamus vowing to make them pay. It was actually a really smart way to introduce both guys, provide a flash of character, and set up a debut match. Simple good. Cameron Grimes fought Baron Corbin on SmackDown. Grimes retained his entrance theme and his general look from NXT, though as I mentioned last week, his beard was trimmed really close. Corbin cut a brief promo saying Grimes showed guts getting in the ring, but would be done in two minutes. So the bell rang, and Grimes immediately caught Corbin with Caven for the one, two, three in just seconds. Perfect way to introduce the finisher and the perfect person to take a loss like that. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with NXT, this was exactly how Grimes' first non-tournament debut match went down there. So it was a direct callback to, for fans of his and fans of NXT. It would have been nice to hear from Grimes celebrating backstage or something, but it was still good and a unique debut for the main roster. Grayson Waller interrupted Adam Pearce in his office, saying his late draft pick can be made up to him by putting the SmackDown bracket winner on his talk show next week. Pierce agreed and Waller was thrilled that things were going his way on Friday night. Not much here, normally a segment I wouldn't grade, but it was actually cool to see a heel get his way and be happy, especially when we know what a piece of shit he can be. So hopefully Waller's been coached up when it comes to the Grayson Waller effect, which is his talk show. He has a tendency not to let his guests breathe and talk clearly without interrupting them. But now that he's up on the main roster, that is not going to fly. This was good. It's a smart idea for next week, and I'm curious to see how it goes. Zoe Stark backstage at Raw was bragging about her success last week to Nikki Cross, who's the person that she beat. She called Nikki a freak, so Candice LeRae ran up to get Cross's back and then challenged Zoe for next week. Short but sweet, not much to grade here. I'm giving it a default good, perhaps because it's a really interesting dynamic that Candice is sticking up for her stalker, though it seemed that angle was about Nikki kind of just wanting a friend. 
How that's going to work with the way reuniting, I'm not exactly sure. That isn't even official yet. They don't have shirts. They haven't really said it, even though they keep alluding to it. But what I am sure is that Zoe and Candace, if they get time, will absolutely bang next week. That will be a damn good match. They need at least eight minutes. And lastly, Indu Sure squashed a couple jobbers and looked intimidating doing it on Raw. After the bell, Jinder Mahal cut a promo, saying a couple words. Then he invaded commentary, picked up a headset, and said a few words to them. Then he grabbed the mic again and said a few more words. And at no time did anything he say mattered. I have to imagine a producer told him, hey, you need to vamp and waste time because the match went too short and we have to fill a gap before a commercial. Otherwise, if this was planned, it was completely nonsensical. If it was planned, I'd give it an ugly. But really, I didn't need this on the show at all. They were already in the battle royal. The promo last week was strong. This certainly wasn't awful, but it was bad. And it was probably the worst thing that we got across SmackDown and Raw this week. And I'll end this segment with a really strange gripe, but those of you who watch NXT will probably understand it. WWE had Sangha shave his chest. And him having no hair on his chest has completely ruined his look. He looks massively generic and even a little bit flabby now. Previously, the chest hair gave him character. Think about Rusev and Drew McIntyre. The guys look different when they have that there. And for Sangha to just be completely bare-chested like Veer made them look like nothing, just smooth and weird. And I told you it was a strange gripe, but folks, it's what I noticed in the moment. And that wraps up the good, the bad, and the ugly, which means we have just one segment left on this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. You know it. I hope you love it. It is the last word. So DJ, take the needle and just drop it on the record. We gon' have this poppin' in a second. That's why we always say the best cut last to make you scratch your mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, we have had a few last word submissions recently that are really strong, but without Chris on the show to get into a more in-depth discussion, I am going with the shortest and simplest question that we've had. It comes from Chase F, and he asks, Silver King, what is your favorite flavor of M&M candy? So I said, simple uh, question, simple answer. Folks, I think there is one version of M&Ms that is completely unmatched when it comes to the entire group, and that is the peanut butter M&M. It has the saltiness, it has the sweet. If you are one of those people who likes to break apart candy in your mouth, you can take the chocolate off and just go to the peanut butter. It, it, it's so varied, it gives you a lot of time uh, to, when you eat it, if you do something like that, rather than just shoving a handful in your mouth and kind of chowing down on them. Uh, I love plain M&Ms, they're solid. I like crispy M&Ms even better than the plain ones. I gotta tell you, almond M&Ms can go to hell. I see no reason for those to even exist. Peanut M&Ms, regular peanut, not peanut butter. I just, it's never been for me. I've never found the peanuts to taste good. A lot of times they have that thin exterior, not a shell, but the covering on them, that gets in your teeth. I just have no patience. Pretzel M&Ms, I think are too hard to chew on and, and it tries to have the same factor as the peanut butter where you can, in your mouth, cut it into a couple different pieces, but then you're just left with a, a plain pretzel. And like, that's not really that fun. Now there are special edition M&Ms. They have white chocolate crispy ones. They've had marshmallow ones around the holidays. Uh, I recently had a version that was white chocolate peanut butter. Those were pretty solid. I've had the key lime ones. I like those. I don't really like any of the coffee ones, but again, a singular number one M&M on the list, peanut butter M&M, by far the best. And yes, 
the blue tastes the best out of the entire group. All right, folks, that is the last word for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, which means it is time to officially wrap up the show. I appreciate Vintage Chris Vanini for joining us for a good portion of the program, what he was able to do in the main event. And I appreciate the rest of you for sticking with the Silver King going solo the rest of the way. On the way out, allow me to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about So be sure to drop those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you take the time to leave a five-star review on Apple, we will read it live right here on the show. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and so much more. That's also where you can submit questions for the entire show, questions and comments, but also questions for the last word. And please remember, I happen to love the number... Five. Become an official Getting Overhead. Join us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus audio, news posts, and so much more every single week. Once again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>